Well, let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this evening to round out our Lord's Day. And we enjoyed the means of grace and worship this morning, fellowship uh, with our uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and particularly our fellowship and uh, communion with you, our covenant faithful God. So Lord, as we spend our time uh, together this evening in your word and, and in prayer, uh, and then uh, in fellowship together over dinner, uh, we ask that you might uh, be at work amongst us, uh, that we would be made more like our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have all hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so we are looking at the Old Testament book of Obadiah, the minor prophet tonight. Uh, you might have thought our Ruth series was short. Obadiah is going to be even shorter, as it'll just be uh, this evening. Uh, we're just going to look at uh, the 21 verses uh, in this minor prophet. Um, it is the shortest book in the Old Testament, fourth shortest book in the Bible, most likely written sometime around 845 B.C. Uh, is our uh, most likely time as we kind of look at the what's being described, what's left out. Uh, we know there's the, an attack on Jerusalem, yet there isn't descriptions that would fall in line with Babylon's uh, attack. So uh, we're, we think, I think, uh, 845 is a good option for us. But just so we know, there are, there are some other dates and considerations in the 500s. I don't think it's going to impact too much our, our study uh, tonight. Uh, Obadiah is uh, the book itself's name for the prophet who delivers uh, the word of the Lord here. Uh, Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. And like Jonah and Nahum, Obadiah is uh, one of three books that isn't uh, actually written directly to God's people in the sense of delivering a, a prophetic message to God's people, but it is a prophetic message. Uh, for God's people to hear, but particularly, uh, as we'll see as we read through, to the people of Edom, the Edomites, uh, is who this book is addressed to. Uh, as I mentioned, it's written after Jerusalem is attacked. Um, Edom, somewhat custant, uh, cousin nations, distant nation cousins, uh, which we'll touch on when we get into the, the letter itself. Seeing the attack did not come, did not help. Um, their, uh, the nation of Israel, the people, God's people there in uh, Jerusalem, and in fact, in other ways, showed violence towards them. Uh, and so God uh, brings uh, prophetic judgment against them. So Obadiah, this is God's word. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall utter, be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the evil, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thief... If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. 
they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not? Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Eden, Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloft, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. In the house of Joseph, a flame. In the house of Esau, stubble. And they, they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. And shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities in the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So our, our, one, our one sermon in Obadiah, looking at it, the Lord always prevails is uh, the title I'm giving to it. Hopefully, as we get to an end, it'll be one that, uh, even as we read of the Lord's prophetic judgment upon the people in Edom, uh, that it would bring encouragement to us as God's people even uh, today. Now, if you want to live a a frustrating, fearful, and uh, a frantic life, my suggestion to you would be to filter everything uh, through current events, worldwide, local, and then current events in your own life. Make it very micro, put the blinders on, uh, look at the events that are happening right now at this moment, and let that be the kind of the, the driving force in your life. And if you do that, again, I think you'll, you'll live a frustrating, fearful, and, and frantic life. Uh, looking at uh, reality this way is uh, it's a short-sighted, uh, way to look at not only providence, but just what's happening uh, in your life and life in general. Uh, it's to ignore redemptive history. It's to ignore, to ignore what God is doing in the big 
picture, the, the promises that he's made. It's to ignore his covenant faithfulness and all of his word that he's given to us. Even a, a small little book like Obadiah that we can look at and learn from and see aspects of God's character revealed to us to encourage us. I know, uh, I know some of us enjoy either reading about or watching uh, documentaries or movies that are about battles and, and wars. And there's an aspect, particularly uh, the more modern you get, so think about battle today, if there's a war happening. The commanders, whoever is moving troops around, they want to have as big a picture as possible. Now, through technology, our forces are able to get like on the spot what's happening like at this block inside a city and know, you know, what's one little unit doing in the battle. But if a commander just focuses on one little group of guys, soldiers, and that's all he's looking at, you can either think, man, we got this thing won. They are just mopping up and the rest of the forces are getting wiped out. Or this one little unit could be getting decimated. He could think, oh, the, the battle's over. We've lost all, but everyone else could be doing a great job. So you need to back up, kind of think of like a drone or satellite footage of the whole battle looking at it. Well, that's the way that we need to, to look at life, back up and, and through like, as it were, the satellite of life, the, looking through the vision of the scriptures at everything, God's total macro picture of what's going on instead of zooming way in and just be focused on the one aspect, this thing that's happening right now, right around us or right now somewhere in the world that we're reading uh, in the news, we need to have that bigger view, not living in the micro events. So, hopefully, as we look at uh, Obadiah, though we have an aspect here of, of in the moment, that time, micro event, Obadiah's prophecy itself also carries over. So, there's a, a then and then there's a not yet aspect to this. So, there's a, a local and a great. And so, as we unpack it, hopefully, we'll see that and it'll help us and encourage us to have that same that view. So these 21 verses, I think we can keep in mind here, think about it, sum it up with, uh, with this. It may seem like God's enemies are winning, but the Lord always prevails. So not only for God's people at that time, as it looked like everyone that was in opposition to them was winning and they were being defeated, uh, God makes it clear through Obadiah that that's not true as he speaks this prophetic word to the people of, of Edom, but the same way today as as God's people. You know, it, it can seem like at times when we look around, oh man, uh, you know, the dark spiritual forces, they are like taking names right now. They are they are they are gaining footholds and grounds and cities and what's happening. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the big picture of God's promises and his covenant faithfulness and get lost in that and begin to despair. But we don't want to do that. We want to remember that the Lord always prevails. So we're going to answer three questions here for this evening. Who is Edom? What's the message? And what does it matter to you? So who's Edom here? Uh, the nation of Edom, these are the descendants of Esau, the, the brother of Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob and Esau, the, the twins? That's the Edomites. They are the descendants of Esau. Uh, Genesis 25 tells us the account. Uh, we, we learn there of uh, all the ways there, how God works sovereignly to bring about uh, the, um, the inheritance being given to the younger brother instead of the older brother. Uh, we see how that happens in God's sovereign choices and then how it works out actually between the brothers and, and how things develop 
uh, there. Romans 9 confirms this. Uh, speaking of the twins, God says, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. So we get a bigger picture in, in Romans uh, chapter 9 that helps us understand the relationship here between the two brothers, how God is operating through them, and then particularly how he chose the younger brother to then build out the nation of Israel, the covenant uh, people, God's uh, people there as we continue uh, looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ coming and then God's covenant people being brought from all tribes, tongues, and nations out of those. Um, Though the brothers do reconcile, we read in Genesis, they do reconcile later in life. The brothers do. There seems to always be, you see through the scriptures, we could go to multiple places if we wanted to expand beyond one sermon and see how the Edomites and the Israelites, they go and fight one another and they're almost constantly at each other's throats in different places. And then we see ultimately here what what should be a, a cousin nation, as it were, seeing the uh, Jerusalem in distress, uh, they stand back. And it seems like perhaps they even partake in a little bit of the, after uh, the attack has happened and things have taken place, they, they, they take advantage of the situation. A little bit of chaos, good for the pocketbook of the Edomites. And they come in and, and instead of helping the, uh, the Jewish people that are there, they, from what we can read here, what God is uh, condemning them for is that not only do they stand back and, and let this violence happen, but then they come in and, and they do a little bit of looting and taking for themselves and participate in it in that way. In Obadiah, we see the, the nation of uh, Edom are prideful enemies of, of God's people. They do them harm, and God judges them uh, for this. So that's, that's who Edom is, to give us an idea. Uh, what's the message? What's the message of Obadiah? You know, we read 21 verses. What's God saying here? You know, what is the, the message that the, is being spoken by the prophet Obadiah? Oh, well, one commentator notes the message this way. Obadiah presents a message of hope to God's people. This is done in two different stages corresponding to the two major divisions of the prophecy. Firstly, Judah can be assured of God's justice and that Edom a nation who took part in her own humiliation, whether as an observer or as a participant, as we read in verses 11 through 14, would herself be humiliated. So you read in verses 2 through 10 and 15. This judgment is due not only to Edom's gloating, but also to her arrogance. She perceived herself as relatively superior to an unassailable and unassailable to the surrounding nations. Uh, verses 2 and 4 talks about that, the attitude they had about themselves that were, were untouchable as a, as a people. But they forgot the absolute transcendence of Israel's God. Secondly, they can be seen on a, on a wider scale where all the nations will be judged and Judah will get back from them all that which was taken. God has not forsaken his people, as might have been feared when they suffered defeat. He will continue to support them because he is their covenant God, Yahweh, who met them at Sinai. Not only is Yahweh willing to help his people, he's also able to do so since he is sovereign, Lord and King of nations and not simply of Israel. His sovereignty is also shown by his direct intervention in history. All of these points have relevance to the contemporary reader of Obadiah. While neither Edom nor Babylon are with us any longer, enemies of God's people are still to evidence and sometimes apparently all-powerful. The same God whom the prophets proclaimed is not only willing but able to stand on the side of his people and deliver them is to be declared 
today. When I was reading through Obadiah, this is a short you know, 22 verses in the, the message that, that God's delivering to Edom. And as I was uh, reading through and thinking about it in, in a somewhat of a um, heart-wrenching way, and it talks about the pride that the Edomites have. They're unassailable. Nothing can be done to our country. We're untouchable. Um, they, they look back and watch things happen, and then when it's to their advantage, they seem to sweep in. And, and, in, and in many ways, sadly, I, I see a little bit of a reflection of our own country there. I think that we should, when we get here to a moment, uh, and we, we talk about, you know, what does this, this matter to you? Perhaps it should drive us to pray more, pray more for the country uh, that God has providentially placed us in, uh, that the Lord might uh, give wisdom to the civil magistrate, rise up those who would seek to do uh, justice as God has proclaimed and, and seek to, uh, to serve in a way that wouldn't make us like a modern-day uh, Edom uh, in the many ways that are. But it's not just the United States. We see through history, but also even today, we look around and we see the same attitude amongst nations uh, as they interact and people groups do with one another. So this prophetic message of, of judgment comes to Edom. Uh, and, and if you notice when we're reading it, it comes then, like there's an immediate aspect to the judgment, but there's also a, a later aspect um, to all the nations. And, and looking at, at the way it's laid out, I think that it's speaking of, in the later aspect, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his first coming and his second coming, the coming of the Messiah. That's what's being prophesied here, which again, directly impacts and touches on, on all of us. Um, so this is, as I said, some, somewhere around 845 B.C. is where we're at when this happens. And multiple things happen once uh, we move past this all the way up to 100 B.C. where there's several uh, battles, fights, invasions, so that by the time we come to 100 B.C., the, the Edomites as a, as a people have been uh, decimated. They're still there. But they are no longer the mighty nation that they saw themselves as. Uh, so much so that they have, by 100 B.C., they have, they have been actually, um, for the most part, uh, a nominal um, God-fearers like we read of in, uh, we've been reading of an Acts, when they would go around and they would find these Gentile folks and there would be amongst them uh, God-fearers. Well, there was an aspect of that. Uh, they were pretty much uh, had lost their, um, uh, the power, prestige. But one interesting thing is it's out of this group of people that we see the Herods coming from, uh, if I understand my reading correctly. So there's, there's some interesting dynamics there. But move forward to 100 um, AD, and they're basically gone. I mean, you can't find any remnant of the Edomites. They have, they have uh, as a people, they have, uh, disappeared. They have been absorbed into uh, the surrounding nations and areas so that God's judgment upon them that was spoken uh, clearly happens, uh, and that God does that. Um, but as he does it, there's an aspect that, uh, that we see that is uh, tied into uh, the prophecy of the coming of Christ so that it's not just that they are decimated as a people, uh, but here, listen, and, and and see if you pick up on where it seems many of the Edomites uh, seem to have gone as we move a hundred years um, past the birth of Christ. 
So ultimately, there's this prophetic fulfillment uh, found, as I mentioned, the first, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. The Gospels tell us the kingdom of God has come in Christ. It's the ultimate kingdom. Uh, Obadiah ends ends with with that. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. There's this this great picture. Um, You know, Mount Esau is gone, this rival mountain. uh, And with it gone, we have saviors. Uh, who were going up Mount Zion, uh, Mount Zion, that picture of, uh, of God's kingdom. We think about, um, perhaps you've heard me on, on the Lord's Day when we're getting ready to do the call to worship. And I talk about how let us prepare our hearts. We're about to hear God. He's about to call us into his presence. He's about to invite us to ascend the mount. And that goes back to this picture we see in the, uh, in the Psalms where, where the psalmist says, Who is worthy to ascend the mount? Who is worthy to come into God's presence? How can we? No one's worthy to come into God's presence. We can't. The scriptures are clear. Uh, To step into the presence of a holy God, a consuming fire, we can't do that because we're sinful. And then, of course, the answer the psalmist gives, it's trusting in in the Messiah, the Lord. It's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Christ that we are able to ascend the mount. So that when we are commanded to come to worship, that call to worship, what God is saying is come, Come in the righteousness of my son. Come and worship me. You can come in in boldness, and you can come in in rejoicing and in awe, and yes, in trembling, but yet with thanksgiving. And we can come because of Christ, and we are able to ascend the mount. And so we see, have this picture here in in Obadiah talking about the, the ruling of the ultimate kingdom, the king of kings, lord of lords, you know, the kingdom that came when Christ came. Uh, we see that uh, many in the, the geographical area that was Edom, um, as we get to this point, this area, many of those folks had become Christians. They were Gentile converts to Christianity by the time you hit about 100 uh, A.D. And so there is one aspect just right there in the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. There's been, a yes, a, a, a decimating of the uh, Edomite nation. But even in, in that tearing down and destruction of that prideful people, God has brought salvation to the very ones that he laid low. Uh, and they were uh, redeemed. And in the greater aspect of the new covenant, as the Gentiles are grafted in, we see a picture of even Edomites being grafted in. Um, go back to the Old Testament. So now we look at some of the prophetic aspects that are not just about Edom, but prophetic aspects that, that go even greater than that. Uh, we back up to Balaam in Numbers 24 when Balaam's brought out to you know, prophesy against uh, God's people and, uh, and does the opposite. And, and in that, uh, he proclaims that the Messiah would come out of, uh, out of Israel and it talks of the scepter coming out. And there's a picture there of uh, thinking of, uh, of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, all this aspect. And, and not only would the Messiah, he prophesied the Messiah would come out of uh, God's people, but that part of it would... Edom would be the, uh, the Messiah, the king's part of his domain. And so there's this prophetic aspect that it's coming that we see fulfilled, as I just mentioned there um, a moment ago, uh, with how the Edomite people have, have uh, disappeared, as it were, but they didn't disappear. The nation disappeared, but the people uh, have been grafted in. The Lord has redeemed and say them they are a possession of the king of kings. And then in Acts 15, James at the Jerusalem council, um, he states that you know, the conversion of the Gentiles is a fulfillment uh, of Amos. 
And again, we just have this, the Edomites, the Gentile, the people that uh, the fulfillment of the coming of Christ, uh, the fulfillment of these things that Amos speaks of are found in the conversion of the Gentiles and the grafting them into uh, the covenant people so that in the new covenant, this global church where we have God's people coming from every tribe, tongue, and, and nation uh, being grafted in to the tree and to the vine. And then, of course, we read here, and it said the day of the Lord. Perhaps you picked up on that when it said the day of the Lord as we read through Obadiah. And the day of the Lord has kind of a dual aspect we see in, in prophetic language. There's the day of the Lord as in, hey, the day of the Lord's coming, and God would say that to a people, and that meant judgment is about to be upon you. The day of the Lord is here. I am arriving in judgment. But then there's a, a bigger picture of the day of the Lord. Um, that bigger picture of the day of the Lord speaks of um, the second coming, and we read in that in Second Peter chapter 3. We get an understanding of the day of the Lord in an eschatological fulfillment sense all the way down. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are, are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So again, we're looking at the, the smallest book in the Old Testament, we got this direct prophetic judgment on the Edomite people, but also as we look at the day of the Lord and what's happening here, there's a greater and grander that there was a now and then a not yet, and we get to rejoice in that as well, being brought in and part of that. That's part of the hope that we have that we're looking for, the new heavens and new earth that Christ has been ushering in. So who is Edom? We touched on that. What's the message? Hopefully that made kind of the message of this this. Um, Old Testament minor prophet clear and and now we what does it matter to you we'll, we'll look at a few uh, things quickly about uh, ways that this somewhat 2800 year old prophetic book what in the world does it have to say to you right now today uh, what are some things that we can understand uh, that God is is saying well, I do think Obadiah encourages God's people uh, with the truth that the Lord is is a covenant faithful God. Uh, the truth that he doesn't forget us. Just as he didn't forget his people then, as Edom came against them, we can keep that in mind as well, that God does not forget us. So as we look around, we see all the things that are happening, the way the church is assailed, we can remember, God has not forgotten his people. Even as we are living in a life, spiritual warfare, different things, sufferings, trials we talked about this morning, God has not forgotten us. These are things that we can be thankful for not necessarily the, the suffering in itself, but what God is doing through the suffering and, and giving us patience, endurance, hope in Christ, making us more like him. But there is encouragement we see even in this prophetic judgment that God brings here. 
Obadiah shows in times of divine judgment that God gives his people a place of safety. He, he mentions that about how there is a place of safety that he sends to his people. I think ultimately the thing to remember there is perhaps we don't get temporal safety in, in a day of judgment, but we do have ultimate safety in Christ. Christ is like the ark that you flee to for safety. Christ is where our hope and, and our true safe place is. Um, there's a couple things from Proverbs that we see here. Proverbs 24 teaches that we shouldn't rejoice when, uh, when your enemies fall. Think about vengeance as the Lord's. So we see those who are enemies against the church. It's God's dealing with them. Uh, we can praise God and thank Him, but at the same time, I think it would be right and that we have a, a place in our heart that we would be wanting to take the gospel and the love of Christ to those uh, hoping, you know, as they are, have breath in their lungs, there is a, an opportunity and chance that God could be merciful and pour grace out upon them. And, and we wouldn't just see judgment come, but we'd see what we see to the Edomites, that out of that, some may even be redeemed and, and grafted in, so that that, I hope, is our prayer. Uh, that, yes, we're praying, Lord, please protect us. You know, protect your bride, protect your church. But at the same time, uh, Lord, how about those who are assaulting, like Paul assaulted the church? Might you give us more Pauls, more more folks that you would... Would, would grab, redeem, and then use in a mighty way for your witness. Um, Proverbs 16 teaches pride comes before your fall. We, got, we see that with the Edomites. They had great pride. This deadly sin that's the root of, of many, many other sins that we need to mortify and then vivify the opposite of pride, which would be bringing to life humility in our own lives. Um, even the way these cousin nations deal with one another makes us think about how we how we deal with each other, you know, how we love one another within the body of Christ, uh, how we love our neighbors as God has commanded us to. Uh, and then ultimately, you can trust in Christ for salvation, for his care in every moment of your life. We can live in that reality that we see uh, as the Lord always uh, prevails. So it may seem like God's enemies are winning, but the Lord does truly always uh, prevail. Oh Lord, we pray you would uh, help us to, to know this reality and this truth. And even as we go now into our corporate prayer and then to dinner, uh, Lord, that we would uh, not only uh, have this truth pressed in upon us, but that we would put it uh, into reality as we cry out to you and then enjoy uh, the fellowship that we enjoy in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.